the ground running in 2022. Um, many of you know me, but for those of you who don't, my name is Brandon Pittenger. I'm the pastor of worship and of student ministries here at FBN. Um, my wife and I, Grace, she was on the piano. We typically lead worship here, uh, and so this is a kind of a, of a fun change of pace for me. Um, but I, like I said, I, I lead worship, and I have the great honor of, of hanging out with and teaching our 6th through 12th grade students. Uh, Grace and I, we have four kids ourselves, um, Addie, who's nine, Luca, eight, David, who's six, and Barrett, who is two. So as you can imagine, you know, we, we just have a lot of fun with our family. We're always busy, always doing something. Um, and I'll just say that I love what I do. Um, sometimes I, I can look back and, and I really can't believe that I'm even here doing what I'm doing. Um, if you would have asked me in high school or when I was growing up, I definitely had different plans and ministry was not a part of my plans um, at all, um, let alone actually being a, a pastor. And so um, it's really cool to look back and, and, and in hindsight, I can see really how the Lord worked um, and connecting all these things together and how all of it came to be. Um, so what I'd like to do today is to use a little bit of my own story to uh, kind of help connect us with some of the things that Paul is trying to stress to Timothy here. So uh, before we kind of jump into this, I'd like to invite uh, Lisa Telly up, who's going to read our passage for us this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Um, and if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word um, as we do- jump into this? Good morning. Good morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Thank you. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we dive into this? So let's pray. God, we're thankful, Lord, for this morning. God, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I've been given to share from your word this morning. God, I pray that you would, um, that you would speak to us, God, that you would um, help us to get rid of the distractions and anything that um, would potentially get in the way of what you'd want for us this morning. God, would we um, have eyes um, that are focused on you, ears that are attentive to hear um, what you'd have for us this morning. Um, we want to give you praise and glory through this service, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, through that passage, um, we're really going to be kind of focusing in on verse 5, where he brings up uh, Timothy's grandmother and his mother. So in that whole section, there's so much there, but that's where we're going to be spending most of our time. Um, But before we jump into that, a little bit about me. Like I said, I wanted to use my story to kind of connect some of this stuff. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, to a young mom and a young dad, and when I was around six, they divorced. And my dad ended up with custody of me and my little sister. And so my dad worked long hours doing construction. Um, So I really ended up being raised by my grandparents. It just worked out to where um, my dad and I and my sister, we lived in a little house that was on the same property as my grandparents. And so I could always just run up the hill and be at my grandparents' house. And eventually I just kind of made my home there, you know, and they took me in. And it was really cool. Um, 
But like I said, my dad worked long hours, so they kind of stepped in. And my grandpa, he taught me really everything that I know how to do, um, everything. He taught me how to ride a bike. He taught me how to use a lawnmower, how to string up a weed eater. He taught me how um, to ride horses. He taught me how to drive cars. He taught me how to drive stick shift. Um, he would just let me loose in his field with his 57 Chevy, you know, hitting cherry trees and stuff. So, um, you know, some of that is kind of makes me cringe now to think about it. But he let me do it. Um, and he didn't care. Uh, he introduced me to my first love, uh, which was basketball. Um, now, basketball was something that he loved passionately, and he still loves. Um, and it was because of his love of basketball that I became obsessed with it. Um, we would play every day and every night, it felt like. And even when it was too cold, um, I, would, I would ask him to watch me, and he would watch me from the window as I played outside by myself. Um, and I could never beat him. As hard as I tried, I, I could never do it. Um, he was just too good. And it was only until his shoulders started to give out on him uh, that I started to take advantage of that, right? Um, I would make him shoot from far away and that kind of stuff. Um, but he was always just my, my hero and my champion when it came to that kind of stuff. And, and I remember how he showed me the fundamentals and he taught me the basics and how we would work on the little things before moving on to more advanced things, um, and, and really, he transferred all of his knowledge to me, and that helped me tremendously. Um, and I, like I said, I was consumed with this sport. I, I went to all of the UofL basketball camps when I lived there, and I played in different leagues growing up, and I wanted to play college basketball, and I had every, you know, every basketball player's dream of, of being in the NBA, and that's obviously not what happened, and even if I was, I'm not tall enough and all those kind of things, so um, it just wasn't in the cards for me. But if you fast forward a couple years into high school, um, I found myself in kind of an identity crisis. Um, we had moved from Louisville to Indianapolis, and I had got caught, in, caught up in some stuff that really kind of just got me off track. Uh, my foundation, for as good as my grandparents did, um, it was not one that was built on Christ, and so I found myself lost. And now when I say that, I'm, I want to be careful because I'm not trying to paint a disrespectful picture of my grandparents and, what, and the job that they did because they really did an amazing job. Um, they, they laid an awesome foundation and they taught me everything, right? And they, they poured themselves out for me. Um, so in no way am I trying to insinuate that they just did a bad job. But what I am trying to point to is that there was just not a, a spiritual foundation, right? I did not have that Christian upbringing. I didn't, the Christ wasn't really a big part of our family at all. No heritage of faith. And so when we moved to Indiana my freshman year of high school, I, like I said, I was struggling. And I was doing so bad that my parents decided to pull me out of the big public school and put me into a small private school, a Christian school called Bethesda in Brownsburg. A lot of you guys know that school, actually, which is pretty cool. It's a small world. Um, this was one of the best things that ever happened to me. It's where I met the two most important people in my life. It's where I met Christ, and it's where I met my wife, Right? Um, the two most important people in my life. And so I also met several individuals there um, who really changed my life. Um, my art teacher, Gary Varvel, my youth pastor, John Mulligan, and my youth leader named Jeff Seymour. And it would, go in, it would just take forever to go into great detail about the things that they did and the, and the ways that they poured themselves into my life. But obviously it was so influential that I'm still talking about them 13 years later. They made that big of an impact in my life. And these men, what they did is they spent time with me, right? They spent time with me. They made time for me. Um, and I can't help but remember that the countless times as my art teacher would, would dismiss class, and I would just be sitting there. He was supposed to go to the next, the next class, and he would just sit with me and, and write me a pass because he wanted to make sure I understood the gospel. Like, he was just 
illustrate it. He would take the time with me and pour into me. He would ask me about my life, um, which is just amazing. Like I said, it would take forever to go into that kind of stuff. Um, but like I said, these men spent time with me. They poured into me. I wasn't their family, but there were times when I felt like I was, when I felt like I was a part of their family because of their efforts. What they did is they saw a young guy looking for something, for anything to, to grab a hold of and to give him purpose and to give him value and to give him um, hope, right? And they went the extra mile for me. And so if you skip forward a little bit, not too much further, but my wife and I, we got married when I was 19, right? As a young married man with no clue what I was doing, which is kind of normal. You're never really ready for marriage, right? But I just felt like I, had, I was lost, right? I had a foundation that was really set in Christ because I had new faith, right? I had this Christian foundation laid by the work of those men, and I knew that I wanted to be a godly husband, and I knew that one day I wanted to be a godly father, but I didn't have that kind of upbringing. I didn't have these examples that I could just look back and, and be like, man, I want to be like that when I get older. I can't wait to be like that. I didn't have any of those things, right? I was prepared when it came to cutting my grass and the general maintenance of my own stuff, and I knew that I loved my wife, but when it came to the spiritual stuff, I really didn't have anything. So what I ended up doing was that I uh, observed godly men around me. I observed them. I watched them, right? Um, I, I asked questions. I wanted to learn from them. And it was men in this very church who taught me what it looked like to love my wife in a godly way. It was men in this church who taught me what it looked like to be a loving and godly father. Now, I'm not perfect in this, like no way perfect. I mess up all the time, and I think it would be foolish of me to think that I was just nailing this, right? But I'm trying. I think that's what we're doing is we're all trying. But I, I had these examples laid before me, right? It was the memories I had of, of Gary and of John and of Jeff and how they loved their families. Uh, all of those things combined, I clung to those things, right? I, like, they may not even know it, but their lives forever left a mark on me, like forever, right? Which really is the basis for what I'm wanting to talk about this morning. See, what they're doing is they're leaving behind a heritage of faith, not only in their families, but in the lives of those around them, right? Obviously, I wasn't a part of their blood family, but they brought me in. So what we see Paul doing here is he's speaking to a young Timothy, right? But Paul's circumstances have changed between writing 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In the first letter, Paul was anticipating coming to see Timothy. However, in this second letter, there's a fly on me, get off me. Uh, <laughs> it just distracted me. Uh, in, the, in this next letter, in the second letter, Paul uh, is now in prison, Right? He's, he's in prison, and he, now he's calling for Timothy to come and visit him. Uh, and he wants his books to be brought to him, and the different copies of Scripture, and all the things that he wants to have. And he's preparing Timothy to receive the torch that he's going to pass on to him. Right? And it's the impending death of Paul. He knows what's happening, and that's what kind of sets up this letter. It frames it for us, and it gives his words a sense of urgency. And so what Paul does, the first thing that he does here is that he encourages Timothy, right? He reminds Timothy. And what we've gathered from the book of 1 Timothy is that maybe he's a little, um, I wrote unstable. Unstable isn't really the right word, I don't think, but Timothy's young, right? And he may have some chronic stomach issues that hinder him at times, and he's kind of shy and intimidated maybe because of his youth, and he's just un, not confident, right? But Paul calls him, in the midst of all of that, to remember something. He calls him to remember his faith, but not only his faith, he calls him to remember the heritage of his faith. 
right? He says that the sincere faith that Timothy possesses, it first lived within his grandmother and in his mother, right? So my grandpa passed on to me what he cherished. The things that meant a lot to him are the things that he passed on to me, that he spent time on with me. And as a result, I now have an affection for the things that he did. Right? Like old cars and old trucks and working with my hands and all these kind of things. Like I mentioned, basketball, right? It was because of his love for the game that I became obsessed with it. And now it's pretty cool that I'm teaching my son, Luca, the same things that my grandpa showed me when it comes to this. It's pretty incredible to think about that. Now I'm watching him from the window as he plays. And he wants me to, to learn and, and, to, and for him to show me all the cool things that he can do with the ball, right? It's just really, really neat to look back. And we all have these surreal moments as parents or just adults where we realize that we've grown up now and the things that we're doing are the things that we witnessed our parents or other influential adults doing in our lives, right? So if you can track with me for a moment, this might be weird, but just do it for me. Um, I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And take a second, take a moment to think back through your heritage, through your family. Think about just your relative, everyone that's come before you, right? Think about the memories you have of growing up, what was passed on to you. Now, do the same thing with your faith. Trace it back. Who introduced you to Jesus? Are there certain traditions and values that you hold on to? And ask yourself, why do I hold on to these things? Who introduced these to me? Who was influential in establishing those things in your life? Now you can open your eyes. Some of you probably don't like looking back. I don't particularly like looking back either. Maybe it brings up too much pain. Maybe it hurts a little bit. And I want you to know that especially today that God sees your pain, that, he, that he's there with you in the midst of it, right? He's here for you. And I personally, like I said, have some pretty painful things that come to mind when I look back. But I also know that God did a powerful and wonderful work in each one of those areas for me, and I know that he can do the same for you. And so today, what you'll find is you'll probably find yourself in one or two camps, one of two camps. You'll either have a spiritual heritage, maybe not a deep one, but at least you have one where you can look back and think through um, family members who came before you who had a deep faith, a rich faith, and they passed that on into you. They taught you of it, or you're like I was, and you don't really have that. Right? Nothing really passed on to you from your family when it comes to faith. And for both of us today, for both groups, we're going to look at how we are to pour into and build upon that heritage that we have. And if you don't have one, we'll look at what it takes or what it can look like to start one. Right? So who are we to consider when we talk about our heritage of faith? Well, I think the first place and the easiest place to look at is obviously family. Right? Our family. And that's exactly where Paul went when he reminded Timothy of his heritage. It's strange, though, I don't know if you caught this, but Paul doesn't mention Timothy's father or his, grandpa, or his grandfather. And maybe they simply just weren't men of faith. Maybe um, they, they just did not believe. We know that Timothy's mother was a Jewish woman and a believer, and we know that his father was Greek, meaning that he was probably a Gentile, which is non-Jewish, right? What faith he did or did not have or how involved he was in Timothy's life, we really don't have a way of knowing. What we do know is that two strong women shaped Timothy's life in such a way that he became a trusted and talented assistant to the great Apostle Paul, right? So this passage, what it does is it sheds some light on a principle that is important for all of us to understand, especially if you're a parent. Um, and I'm really talking to myself here because I have young children, and I know they're going to keep growing, and that 
every year brings with it new things, you know, like new struggles and new hardships and things that we're going to, you know, work through um, and as they get older. But we've still been given such an opportunity with our children, right? We've been called to this. We don't um, get to take a pass on this. We do all that we can to pour into our children. We don't get to pass on it no matter the circumstances, right? For whatever reason, the men of Timothy's house aren't mentioned, but his mother and grandmother are, right? God has written them in his holy word. He's forever immortalized them for their faith and their devotion to God and to pour into Timothy, teaching them of him, of God. Praise God for these two women, right, and their faithfulness. Now, again, this is more speculation because we don't know, but what I think of in this story is a mom left to raise her boy, and instead of giving up because dad's out of the picture or because dad doesn't have the time, she steps in and she pours herself out, right? And if that's you, if you're a single mom or single dad, or, or maybe you're not single, but when it comes to faith, you're single, right? You're alone. Remember these two women and their faithfulness. And I pray that it encourages you and it gives you some glimpse of, of what your faithfulness can produce, right? To not give up. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7 says this. It says, these words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them, whether you sit in your house or when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So Moses, in this uh, passage, he had just delivered the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, and he was instructing them on, on the way to uphold these commandments. And what they did is they made religion or, or, or their faith an integral part of their lives. Um, this is because their religious education wasn't really information-oriented. It was life-oriented. They used the context of daily life to teach about God. Which reminds me of a book that I read recently called Family Discipleship. It was written by Pastor Matt Chandler. And in it, he talked about um, how every family has this unique rhythm. And rhythm is just a word that he used to summarize a typical daily flow of life. Right? The routines of you and your family. And in this rhythm, we look and see where it is that our paths cross with our children and our spouses and whoever else um, that we regularly see on a consistent basis. We all can think about just the natural intersections where you cross paths, right? Breakfast, when you wake up, you sit at the table, whether you eat or you don't do that, um, whether you sit on the couch and watch TV together, whatever you're doing, you have these natural times where you find time with your family, with the people you care about. So these natural rhythms, right, to speak about and teach about God. Right? And so the idea is that instead of forcing a big sit-down lecture time where your kids maybe aren't going to listen to you anyways, or instead um, to instead bring about this idea that's presented here in Deuteronomy that our faith would be so woven into the fabric of our lives that these conversations are naturally occurring through the routine rhythms of our lives. Now, what I'm not saying is that family devotions and family group learning times and those kind of things aren't useful or not, or not even essential, because I think they are, and they definitely have a place. But what I'm reminded of is the disciples, right, and how they learned from Christ. And it was done by their lives being immersed in Christ with him, right? They followed him everywhere. They witnessed how he handled conflict and confrontation, how he dealt with people who were different than him, right? How he loved and cared for people, how he loved the Father and submitted to his authority. They learned in this exact manner, right? So we think about our family or our closest friends for a moment. Would it be awkward or uncomfortable for you to bring up Christ in a conversation casually? And if yes, why? Why would it be weird? Well, could it be because it isn't a part of your natural rhythm, right? 
to have these conversations. You don't really spend time talking about this. This isn't really what naturally comes out of you, right? Would it be abnormal for you to enter any of these conversations with your family or your friends? Would it catch them off guard? Like, whoa, why are you talking to me about Jesus? We don't have these conversations. This is weird, right? Is it abnormal? But if you look back at Deuteronomy, Moses says first that the words he's giving to them are to beware. He said in the heart. These words are to be in your heart. And then you're to do what? Well, repeat them to your children, right? Talking about it with them, whether you sit or you walk or you lie down, you get up and everything in between, right? Paul, one chapter over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says this. He says, you therefore, my son, he's talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so Paul reminds Timothy of the examples that he's given him, that Timothy has witnessed for himself and tells him to pass it on, right? To remember what you've seen from me and what you've heard from me and pass it on to the next people who are going to be able to do it. So this idea of passing it on is exactly what I'm talking about, exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about what it looks like to have this heritage of faith, this, 